invite you to, to grab your Bibles out, whether you have a physical copy or on your phone. And we are in the series, uh, Church in the Wild, as I mentioned, and we are in part three of answering the question, what does the church do? Before we get to that, I want to just kind of briefly get us up to why we are looking at this particular question, what does the church do? Um, as we considered this church in the wild experience walking through the wilderness, we've kind of come back each week. We've started each week by looking at this kind of centralized statement, and that is simply that God uses the wilderness experience as a means of serious testing in preparation for significant blessing. When you look into scripture, you see that the wilderness is a place where God uh, in the Old Testament sends Israel and the New Testament sends his son, the true Israel. And this, their time in the wilderness serves as this incredible testing experience. And that time in the wilderness prepares them for their future ministry. They, they come out of that wilderness experience ready to serve and follow their Lord. And so my hope is that for this summer, um, and it feels like it's been forever as we walk through this wilderness experience as a country, and specifically here as a church, that we would see this as a means of serious testing. You know, God isn't doing this by accident, um, but it would be done in order to prepare us for significant blessing, that we would be prepared and ready to minister and to serve. And so for us to do this, we kind of go back to our rallying statement that we had the first week that we started this. And that is for us to kind of make the most of this wilderness experience, we have to give all of ourselves to God. We'll give all of ourselves to God all of the time and all for his glory. So our motto in the wilderness, the, the thing that we want to be our rallying cry is that we will give God all of us, all of the time, and all for his glory. We're his people. We've been called out by his spirit. We've been redeemed by his son. So we are sent as his people to live out his purposes here on this earth. So we've been talking about this people, this church, and we've talked about what is the church. We've asked who's in charge of the church. Now for the past three weeks, we've identified what does the church do? To give us kind of uh, some simple hooks to hang this on, we've talked about how our church specifically, but based on what we see in Scripture, how the church gathers, how the church grows. And today we will look at how the church goes. So when we talk about what does the church do, you know, broadly speaking, we want to talk about Bay Cities Fellowship. We gather, we grow, and we go past winter, and, or spring, I guess, technically, the Tampa Bay Bucks became relevant again. Now, I realize that may sound harsh if you're a diehard Bucks fan, but you might ask, why would you say that? Well, two words, right? Tom Brady. All of a sudden, Tom Brady says, I'm coming to the Bucks, and now, you know, hopefully if we have the NFL season, or at least so sometime this year when the NFL resumes, Tampa Bay is going to experience some relevancy, or at least we think that will be the case. We're excited. Energy has come back to the Bay because of Tom Brady. Now, if you followed his career, which, you know, if you're a fan of sport or even just, you know, live here in America, you've heard of this man. You've seen him on TV. 
you've watched his success, and he is committed to excellence, almost like, you know, at least professionally in sports, like none other. Uh, I believe he's 42, maybe turning 43. Uh, that's old. I mean, whew. Um, at least old to be playing NFL football. Matter of fact, one of the oldest ever to do it, especially at the level he's doing it. And I think he's able to sustain such excellence in his own personal play but because and his team as well because of how passionate he is about what he's doing. And if you've ever watched him play, and, and he does this frequently in his play or even online, when he gets excited, what's that? He's a big, okay, thank you. Appreciate that, Ben. That was helpful. Not part of this, but certainly helpful. The same. When he gets excited, ready for that game to start off, he has kind of a, a just this expression. He like, you know, roars out. He says, let's go. And there's all of this passion and energy that just kind of oozes out of him. And, and, and you can see him, you know, before the game, even during the game on the sidelines, he's constantly yelling, let's go. I think it's interesting, this, this phrase, let's go, is equally both a statement, an exclamation of passion, but it's also, it's also a call to action. It's, he's not just saying it because he wants to let off some steam. He is passionate, but yet he's also calling those around him to, to get in the game, like to, to let, let's do this, let's advance the ball forward, let's, let's stop him on defense, let's win this game. I think it's interesting that as believers, the phrase let's go could equally serve for us as both an exclamation of passion, but also a pretty explicit call to action. Let me further explain what I mean by that. Familiar passage, especially to this church, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he gives us this command. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So before we move forward, let me just ask you this rhetorical question here to get the wheels turning. What do you think it means to go? You know, you got Tom Brady yelling, let's go. Maybe you've been in traffic and someone has screamed out, go, or get going. You know, we've heard the phrase, go. But as Jesus uses it here in Matthew chapter 28, a pivotal text in all of Scripture and a foundational text for the church, what do you think it means for us as God's people to go? My guess is, even though our definitions may not be that far apart, there's certainly some difference in what he's meaning. There could be a thought that Jesus is saying to go somewhere specific, like I'm here in Tampa and I should go to Nepal. Maybe you've thought about it differently and maybe you think it's maybe just anywhere I go, like just as I go. I want to give us a definition here that I'm going to work from today that I think could maybe encompass the spectrum of thought as it relates to going. So when we talk about going, specifically here for our message today, but in, in the context of our church as well, let me suggest to you what I mean 
when I say, let's go, or what it means to go. When I say, let's go, I'm talking about that we are moved by God's power and encouraged by God's promise. Here's what we do. We cross boundaries to reach and teach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. So from the text of Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So we, we as God's people, we're, we're moved by God's power. It's not that Jesus is just arbitrarily calling us into action. He's empowered his disciples with the authority of heaven. But also he's encouraged them by his promise that he ends this passage. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's, we're not just moved by God's power. We're encouraged by God's promise to do something very simple, to cross boundaries. Now, some of these boundaries can be geographic. I think when you look at this text here, it has a very geographic dynamic to it. But if you start reading in the book of Acts, as, as we see in the New Testament, this isn't just geographic boundaries, it's relational boundaries, societal boundaries, political boundaries, and even preferential boundaries. We are called as God's people to cross boundaries, to reach and teach the lost. And as Ben said this morning, with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about going in Scripture, we are talking about God's people, moved by his power, encouraged by his promise, that they are to cross boundaries, geographic, relational, preferential. They are to cross boundaries to do something specific. Jesus says, to reach, make disciples, to teach have them observe all that he's commanded. Reach and teach with the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about this mission or plan of God, when we talk about going, we go this morning because, here's our three points we're going to look at. We go, we, we fulfill that command to go because it's who we are, wherever we are, and involves everything we do. So when we talk about going, we're talking about going because it's who we are, wherever we are, and it includes everything we do. Let's talk, first of all, about this who we are. We're talking about why we go. What's really interesting, one of the, one of the statements that I have emphasized in our teaching here, especially when we were in Ephesians uh, a little while back, and that is, the statement that your identity determines your responsibility. You know, who you are shapes what you do. We call ourselves Christians. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now here for 2,000 years, we, we resonate, we, we identify with that same name. You know what that name means, Christian? It means little Christ. Our identity is rooted and is intrinsically tied to Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus was sent by his Father, Jesus has sent us into this world to bear the good news of his gospel. Why is this important? Because we as Christians, we go because it's who we are. Like this is, 
This is like part of being a Christian is someone who crosses boundaries with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our identity as God's people, as little Jesuses, as little Christ, is uniquely tied to us going. More specifically, even, we find, we'll look at two passages today in Scripture where our very identity, the very roles, the titles that God gives us as his people has this dynamic to it that suggests that we are to be going. We see, first of all, we're told in Matthew chapter 5 that we are the light of the world. If you can turn in your, in your text this morning to Matthew 5, or we'll have it here on the screen, we find Jesus giving his, uh, his wonderful Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning, and he tells his followers, he says, you are the light of the of the world. Now, why is this so significant? If you read John chapter 1, what do we also learn about Jesus? That he is what? He is the light. So we're finding that our identity is so uniquely tied to Jesus's, so that just like he's the light of the world, guess what he tells us? You are the light of the world. Why is this significant? He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. He says, in the same way, like you would put a lamp up to shine light, in that same way, let your light shine before others. So that, and he gives clarity to what this actually is, so that they may, what? See your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Since we are made in God's image and belong to Jesus, we bear his light as well. This is a part of who we are as Christians. We are the light of the world. We bear God's image to others. And the way we do that specifically is through our good works. What do you mean? Here's a great way to demonstrate the love of God to others. Men or specifically husbands, how you treat your spouse. You can demonstrate to others the love of God, husband, by the way we love for and care our spouses. Not only is this an image that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5, this is just a practical demonstration of what love looks like. Moms, how you love your children. That love and care, not necessarily the overprotective, overbearing, but the gentle and nurturing and compassionate and faithful, that love, that shows others what God's love is like. How we work for and work with others is an amazing way to show people what God is like. Now you think about this. When God sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world, the author of Hebrews tells us that, and this is a very complicated expression, but just follow me here, that the son learned obedience. Meaning when the son was on the earth, he was following the will of his father. Why is that significant? Because even Jesus himself, when he was a man here on this earth, modeled what it looked like to work for the will of someone else. 
So the way we work for our employers shows them what we think and believe about God and the way we work with those fellow uh, co-workers does as well. The way we respect them, uh, to serve them, demonstrate care for them. These good works are the way that people, where we live, work, and play, can see what God is like. You say, well, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that, that's my, you know, my, you don't know my coworkers. You don't know my spouse or you don't know my kids. I, listen, if we are uniquely tied to the mission of God simply by our name as Christian, our identity determines our responsibilities. Jesus says you are the light of the world. But he also tells us that we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians, I invite you to turn there next or follow along on the screen here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for Christ. God, this is, what, this is what's happening. As his representatives, here's what God is doing. He is making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, we function as God's representatives to a world that needs him. And Paul makes it really clear what this looks like. It is God working in and through you and me to appeal to others to be reconciled with him. How many of you know um, maybe like a, a really good salesman? Let me see a raise of hand. Any of you know a really good salesman? I want to give, give some uh, shout out to my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, Peter, this is... Uh, Megan's sister, Kate, her husband, Peter, is one of the best salesmen I know. It was his birthday yesterday, so uh, happy birthday, Peter. Um, Peter is a great salesman largely because the way he, you know, sells you or, or, or pitches you is he is so excited about something that he wants to get you to enjoy it as well. It's a very genuine appeal. He, uh, we were up there uh, a couple weeks ago visiting, and we went out to eat, and uh, he was really excited about these waffle fry steak nachos, if I'm saying it correctly. So it was like this big, huge platter of waffle fries with strips of steak in it and avocado. I mean, it was incredible. And, and when we got there, he was just like, Kev, you've got to try this. And I was like, what? What is it? And he's like, oh, man, the first time I had it, it blew me away. I'm like, what? Tell me. And he's like, you have to try these waffle steak nachos, waffle fry steak nachos. And he starts explaining it and, and describing all the contents in it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, like I have to try some. And it, it's just intuitive and natural for him. He is taking something that he has delighted in himself. And you know what he's doing with it? He's inviting me and whoever else is with him to enjoy it as well. I think this is what we find here in 2 Corinthians as Paul calls us as God's ambassadors. Something that we've so partaken in ourselves. We are his people. We've been saved by his son. We belong to him. We, we are identified with him. We're Christians. He says, now you're also ambassadors. God specifically is using you to make his appeal to others. Now, here's the crazy thing. If I were to ask your neighbor or your coworker, Maybe your son or your daughter, someone who would know you well, 
what would they say that you delight in? Is it you're known for your love for dogs? <laughs> Chick-fil-A, which, you know, I, I get that. <laughs> Hopefully not the Bucks. I mean, even with Tom Brady, let's be real for a minute, right? <laughs> or do people know, above all things, not just exclusively, but above all things, that you love and delight in Jesus? Now, I get it. Like, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say that. And, and I'm coming to you recognizing that. That's hard, isn't it? Like, w- it's easy to say, like, I want to love Jesus more than anything else. But when it comes down to in that day in, day out, living out what God has done within, can we be honest for a minute and say that's hard? Like, even for the people who are of the best intentions, who have been walking with God for the longest time, being known as someone who deeply and truly loves Jesus, this is something that we cannot live out the way we ought to if we're not living out together. That's why we come back to that motto. This is all of us, all of the time, all to the glory of God. We can't live out the life God has called us to as his light, as his ambassadors, if we are not living and supporting one another. This is something that God has called us to together. And he's called us to this because it is who we are. This is why we go. It's who we are. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been someone who have been called to go. If you ever wonder, do I have a purpose here on this earth? Absolutely. God wants to use you and every single person in here to bear his good news to those where you live and work and play. So whether it's how you treat your spouse, how you love your kids, how you go to work, how you serve your neighbors, any and all of it. I'm kind of getting ahead to my third point, but the reality is this is why you go. It's who you are. Secondly, it's wherever you are. This is where we go. You know, when you think about, okay, I'm called to go, but where am I to go? It's, it's literally, it's local, but it's also global as well. In Acts chapter 1-8, which we'll have on the screen here, just quickly, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is to the, the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, getting ready for the moment of Pentecost. And Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were presently, and that that area expands in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you see this local plan that expands the global. How does that happen? Well, the mission of God begins locally, but it, it expands globally. The fulfillment of this mission came through men and women living out the gospel where God called them to go. And God calls us to go anywhere and potentially everywhere. Let me, let me give you some examples of what I mean by this. So in Acts, just after we, we walk through the, the Pentecost moment, Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and John, they're, I believe, going to the temple to worship. And on their way in, Peter, if you remember this passage in Acts 3, he is confronted by a lame man who is begging. And Peter being uh, not only uh, a former fisherman, but a follower of Jesus, doesn't have much to offer this man, does he? And what does he, cla- you know, classically say to this man? I don't have much to give you. This is my paraphrase, but here's what I can, you know, 
get up and walk. And what happens? The dude is healed. Why is this significant? Peter and John weren't out just going to find people who need to, they weren't out on a mission to heal people. They were just going about their everyday life. They were going to the temple to worship. And at, on that pathway, they were confronted by a man, and guess what they did? They stopped and they served. It's who they are, wherever they are. Acts chapter 8, we see something a little more intentional. It's Philip. And Philip goes to preach the gospel. And uniquely, the Spirit leads and directs Philip all over the place. We see the, the, the famous example of, of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch giving the gospel. But even so, that example, Philip is just on his way, following the Lord on his journey. And as he's going along the path, guess who he's, he con he's confronted with? Someone who needs the gospel. So what does he do? He stops and shares the gospel. It's who he is, wherever he was going. Interestingly, Paul and Silas in jail, Acts chapter 16, what do they decide to do when they get in jail? It's midnight, and guess what those guys are doing? They're singing. They're worshiping. Must have been worshiping so loud that the place shut down. There was an earthquake, right? That's a joke, bad one. Anyway, so it was God using them, who they were, wherever they went. In jail, on the road, walking into worship. It's who we are, wherever we are. Now, what's interesting is that God may be calling you for a season or maybe a lifetime to actually go somewhere that's not here in Tampa Bay. You know, we see that also in Acts. Paul and Barnabas get sent by the church. Paul has the Macedonian call. You know, we, we witness God moving in our desires, in our lives, circumstantially to send us. We've sent Garrett to Nepal. We've sent Carol to Guatemala. The Lord burdened several of us to leave Minneapolis to come down here to start this church. God moves in different ways. But what we have to understand is that our call to go, remember, moved by God's power, encouraged by God's promise, to cross boundaries, to reach and teach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. We do that because that's who we are, but we do that wherever we are. Whether we're at Publix, the sandwich on Main, eating lunch today, wherever God has placed us, we live out this call to go with the good news. It's who we are. It's wherever we are. And our last point today, it includes or involves everything we do. The last passage I will invite you to turn to this morning is in Acts chapter 2. And this has been, I think this is probably one of my favorite passages, maybe in all of Scripture. This past week, the past couple of weeks, Pastor Luke and I have been talking about you know, Acts 2 and, and is it possible to replicate? Like, can we live out Acts 2 today? Like, that experience that they had in first century Jerusalem that we're going to look at here, is that, is that possible to have today? And, and, and if it's possible, which I think it is, what does it look like here and now? So when we're talking about everything we do, this, this idea of going, we're really asking the question, how do we go? So we know we're supposed to. It's who we are. We know it's, this is wherever we go, but, but how? Like what specifically does going look like? 
the very least, we know it's an idea of crossing boundaries with the purpose of reaching and teaching the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. But what specifically ought that to look like? Um, my parents became Christians. My, my, my mom became a believer through the witness of one of her co-workers. I've shared this story with you before, and for sake of time, I won't go through it again. But long story short, she had a co-worker who shared the gospel. Over time, my mom came to know Jesus. My mom, because she came to know Jesus, was, hey, we should, as a family, start going to church. And we went to a Lutheran church for a little while, and then we ended up leaving there and going to a, a Baptist church right near where I lived. And when we went there, my dad came to know the Lord as well. This is significant because then all of a sudden I was in a home where I was exposed to the gospel from my parents, from our church, and over time I came to know the Lord as well. Now, in the particular church that I came to know the Lord in, they had this pattern every week where on Wednesday afternoons um, they would take out the high schoolers, several of the high schoolers, in a few of our school buses and church buses, and we would go into neighborhoods and they would drop us off, and you know what we would do? We'd walk up and down the streets, we would knock on someone's door and try to share with them the gospel. As a 15, 16-year-old, I was highly intimidated and, and often kind of frustrated because I felt like there was little fruit in me, cold call. Hi, I'm Ken from First Baptist Church of Blank, Michigan, and you know you should come and go to our church, and you should hear the gospel. And they were just like, who are you, and why are you here? And this was, I'm 37 now, so this was you know 20-some years ago. We have a very adverse, you know, we're way more adverse to people knocking on our doors today than we were even then. So when we think about this idea of going, is it knocking on doors? Is it going to downtown Dunedin or Clearwater Beach and, and passing out tracts? Is it, is it, you know, street preaching here in Safety Harbor? W what are we talking about by going? I want to suggest to you what I think could be maybe the, the best method or at least a recommended, I'll, I'll back away from that, a recommended method for us as a church to cross those boundaries. And this should not be unfamiliar to you if you've been with us, and that is the idea, the phrase we, we've used as a church of bless, right? What we want to do is to bless others. What does bless stand for? Just as a review, bless stands for beginning with prayer, the B, beginning with prayer, listening, eating, serving and sharing. So we as a church, when we think about our neighbors, our co-workers, the people where we live, work, and play, we, we begin to pray for them. We start listening to them. We're eating with them. We're serving them with them. We're sharing our stories. Maybe not in that particular order, but definitely involving those things. We're called to be a blessing as we've been blessed. Now, why is all that significant? I really think they, they maybe didn't have the acronym, but I really think that Acts 2, the early church, models this for us. They show us what this life of bless or blessing others looks like. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says, And they, this is key, devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? What's the first thing they devoted themselves to? The word, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the what? Prayers. They were people devoted to having intimacy with the Lord. 
says in verse 43, and, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, were being done through the apostles. It wasn't just that they were devoted to the Lord. It says, look at verse 44, and all who believed, they were together. And I love this phrase. They had what? All things in common. There is a dynamic community there that definitely includes listening and eating and serving one another. They are modeling what blessed looks like one to another. It's a community that, of people that are committed to loving and serving together so much. So verse 45, what were they doing? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. In verse 46, and day by day, this wasn't just a once a week deal. What were they doing? They were attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes. This was something that, because of who they were as Christians, and wherever they went, they were living out this life where everything we do is done for the glory of God and for the good of others. And these people, they were praising God. And their lifestyle was so contagious, this lifestyle that I'm suggesting of bless, that notice this description. They had favor with who? All people. Just, just think about this community for a moment. This early church, I think, is living out a, a paradigm of what bless ought to look like, right? They're praying together. They're listening. They're eating. They're serving. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like if, if all of a sudden we decided to start, you know, selling our, 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 our stuff and, and giving it to each other? I, I think it's interesting, if, if you're any fan of Dave Ramsey, when he talks about getting out of debt, he's like, you know, you should sell so many things that, that your kids think they're next, right? If you ever heard that, it's, it's, it's a great picture. And I find it fascinating that this church was so committed to the good of one another that they were selling their belongings to bring their proceeds to say, who has need? Who, who, who's struggling? How can we serve? How can we help? And ultimately, they were sharing their stories. They were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Why is all this significant? Because look how this passage ends. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This was God's recipe, this lifestyle. Now, I'm calling it blessed just as a simple acronym to help maybe corral your thoughts. But what we see here in Acts 2, that lifestyle, that culture, was God's means of blessing and multiplication. So that in Jerusalem, as those people went from Jerusalem to Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth, we are benefiting because of the dynamic nature of this church. And my question is, why can't this be our story? Like, I don't say that as like, uh, like, come on, church, let this be our story. No, I mean, why can't this be us? What's impeding or, in, or, or keeping us back from looking like this? Like, why can't our church, Bay Cities Fellowship, be known for looking the way the people do here in Acts 2. Like, 
nothing's keeping us back from this except ourselves. That there's no external circumstance, or there's no external roadblock, practically speaking, that is hindering us from doing this outside of our own volitional choice of living out this way. Now, I realize calling us to action in, in the moment we're in as a country, it, it, it feels like, man, do you really, what are you trying to say, Ken? I, I, I understand. But like, what would it take for us? Like, what would it take for you and, 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 and for me to live this way? What, would it, what does God need to do to get our attention? Send, send a hurricane? Allow a, a global pandemic? <laughs> hey, since our church has been existent, we've already walked through two of these things. So when will the story of Bay City's fellowship begin to look like Acts 2? I say that as a means of, like, I'm curious. <laughs> but I also say this as a way to call us into some movement of some action. I'm like, can it begin right now? Like, can it begin today? Like, can we take a moment at the end of our worship here? And like Paul says in Romans 12, by the mercies of God, we present ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice. All of us, all of the time, all for the glory of God. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which Paul says, this is our spiritual worship. So leaving today saying, God, here's all of us, here's all of me, all of the time, all for your glory. If we don't make that resolve today, maybe for the first time, or maybe again, there's no way we take a step closer to living out Acts 2. Because my guess, and maybe my hope, is that this is what you would want as a church. Like, when I read Acts 2, and I see that church, I want to be a part of that. I want that to be us. And I realize that I can't just snap my fingers or, or just preach this message, and all of a sudden, poof. This takes every single person in here or online, if the live stream is working, hopefully, and it takes all of us coming together and saying, God, all of us collectively, but also every part of me, Lord, all of the time, day by day, the church went. And all for your glory. Not for the glory of even Bay City's fellowship, but for the glory of God. This is how we live. So what does the first step look like for you to go this morning? Maybe it looks like just getting alone with God here this morning and, and, and asking him to renew in your desire a, a, a heart, or renew in your heart a desire for him. Maybe it looks like confessing a particular sin that, that especially during this the season of quarantine and, and life, you know, abnormal has just really wrecked you. Maybe it's just saying, God, allow me to, to, to simply look up from my responsibilities and be able to look out and see those who are around me who need Jesus. Whatever it is for any one of you in here, I, that's between you and the Lord. Maybe, maybe you, 
We've talked about identity. Maybe you're not even a believer. Maybe you've never experienced the saving relationship of Jesus. Whatever it needs to be today, my prayer for every single person in here that are, that are as a part of this worship experience this morning, that you would take this first step to go. We go because we're moved by God's power. We're encouraged by God's promise to cross boundaries to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we go because it's who we are, it's wherever we are, and it involves everything we do. So as we conclude this morning, let me invite you just to quietly bow your heads and close your eyes and join me here for a moment of prayer and consideration as well. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us hope. You've given us your gospel. Lord, you've given us everything we need. And I pray this morning, Father, that if there would be someone here who, who needs to respond for the first time to your gospel, who needs to call upon the name of the Lord for the very first time, to be transferred in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to be a child of you, Lord. If that someone is here today or watching online that needs to do that, Lord, may this morning be the moment where their life is changed forever. Matter of fact, if you're watching this morning or here gathered and you've never received the Lord as your Savior, there's nothing complicated to it. Nothing mysterious. Paul says that whoever would con confess, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. 1 John tells us to confess our sins. For the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If you've never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? If this morning you need to reach out to God by faith for the first time, do it now in the quietness of this moment in your home, in your chair here. Say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Lord, only you can save, and you've sent your son, Jesus. And this morning, by the work of the Spirit, I see my sin, I see my need for you, and I accept in you. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. Call upon his name. He will hear you. He will forgive you. He will be your God. He will be your Father. For those that are here that have done that, Lord, but who need a stirring of the Spirit in their heart and life, a renewal, a, a, a fresh call to commitment, Lord, would you just use the quietness of this moment for us, to every single one of us, to stop, to consider, and to say, God, I need you, Lord. Let me invite you this morning just to go before the Lord, confess, forsake, run to Him. Let Him move in your heart and renew you to be ready to go. As Pastor Brent continues to play, would you just go before the Lord? Would you pray quietly there in your seat? At home, if you're watching online, go to the Lord today.
Father, I pray that this morning lives would be changed by your gospel for the first time and again. That we would be a church that goes, that crosses boundaries. It's who we are, it's wherever we are, and involves everything we do. Would you bless this church during this unique and challenging time? Would you bless your church all around the world today? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Ben up here to close us out this morning. As Ben comes, if there's anything you need for us to pray over you with, or this morning you, you called upon the Lord for the first time, would you let us know? Just come find me outside, would you, or even, even comment online. Let us know if today was the day that you, plus, you placed your trust in Jesus for the first time. We'd love to serve you and walk alongside you. Ben.